Welcome to Down to Earth but Heavenly Minded Podcast. Hosted by Irving Rich. Notes of Addresses on the Second Epistle to Timothy. By James Boyd. 2 Timothy Chapter 4. However corrupt that which professes the name of Christ may become, the servant of God has no need to be either discouraged or alarmed. God has not given to us a spirit of cowardice. We need not think that he is going to be defeated, or that anything which he has purposed shall fall short of fulfillment, or be in the slightest way impaired. In the presence of the ruin we can fall back, as the Apostle does, upon that which is established in Christ. This was the support of his heart when the profession was falling into decay. The promise of life was in Christ, and according to that promise he speaks of himself as Apostle. Salvation was in Christ, and he endured all things that the elect might obtain it. It may be, the servant to whom he writes may have been naturally of a timid disposition, but whether he was, or was not, fleshly courage does not count for much in the presence of the forces of evil. We are to be of good cheer, for Christ has overcome the world, and we are to go through it in the power of his Spirit. Life and incorruptibility have also been brought to light, and if we get our eyes fixed upon these things, we shall be less depressed by the corruption around us. In this chapter he exhorts Timothy to make good use of the time when men were at least willing to listen to the word, for the time was coming when they would not endure sound doctrine, but will set up teachers, who will instruct them in things pleasing to the flesh. The gospel has never been popular, and never could be, for flesh has no part in it. The cross is the condemnation of the flesh, and the gospel is the announcement that another man, a man after another order, occupies the place in the presence of God. Still in the days of the apostles, those who professed Christianity were, in general, willing to listen to the truth of God. It is not so now. The man who preaches Christ today will not have many hearers. People have no felt need. Rich, and increased with goods, and in need of nothing, is the attitude men assume today. There may be, and there is, a good deal of religion, but it is largely Christless. The state of things described here has actually come to pass. The gospel is considered antiquated and out of date, and not the spirit of God, but the depraved mind of man is esteemed the source of light and knowledge. But no evil has come in that has not been foretold, and there has been a pathway and line of conduct indicated for us, so that we may not only not be taken by surprise, but thoroughly furnished as to how we are to bear ourselves with reference to everything around us. In view of this state of things which was coming in, the Apostle exhorts his fellow servant, by some very powerful motives, to take hold of every opportunity for the ministry of the Word. He charges him before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. He would bring him face to face with those great realities. In the first epistle he is charged to keep the commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing, here, in view of the judgment of living and dead, and his appearing and kingdom, that day which would bring everything to light and in which all evil would be suppressed by him who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and who will subdue everything to himself. Timothy is to be instant in season, and out of season. He was not to be carried away in the restless activity of the flesh, which may have great pretensions to be doing the work of God. Neither was his mind to be confused by the perplexing condition of this chaotic profession, but in all things he was to be sober, as it seems the word ought to be translated. Not watch. He was to do the work of an evangelist. I suppose this work goes on today almost entirely in the profession. At the beginning the apostles evangelized outside the profession, but today the work seems to be inside Christendom, and is needful for the establishing of souls in the grace of God. But however and wherever the work is done, it is to go on as long as the church is upon earth, for as long as the day of salvation lasts, God will be active in his grace. Afflictions are to be endured, but they can be endured in the power of God, so the servant has no reason to be discouraged or cowardly or faint-hearted.
We need only to be strong in the grace which is in the risen Christ, and if we are thus strengthened, we shall be superior to all the power of the enemy. Paul was leaving the battlefield. He was putting off his armor. He had given a good account of himself, not in his own power, but in the power of God. He says, I have fought a good fight. He does not boast until the battle is over. The time to boast is not when the armor is being put on, but when it is being put off. Peter boasted, as also did all the disciples, a little too early in their history, and failure taught them the folly of it. Paul speaks of how he has behaved himself when he is about to quit the field. He says, I have kept the faith. What else had he kept? He lost everything that is dear to flesh and blood in that mighty struggle with the powers of darkness, but he kept the faith. His reputation, religion, worldly status, friends and fortune, and now he is about to lose his life, but he retained the faith. The brethren were shy of him, or forsook him altogether, all in Asia turned away from him, Demas forsook him for love of the world, and when he had to appear before Caesar, all deserted him. How heartbreaking all this was. He did not expect sympathy or fellowship from the world, but he did from those who professed to love and serve Christ, but it was only the cup the Lord himself had drunk from, as he says in Psalm chapter 55. It was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it, neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me, but it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide, and mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together, and walked to the house of God in company. This was what Paul was tasting from his friends on his way to be sorted by his enemies. But there was one that stood by him under every form of tribulation and affliction, one who never failed him, and who, he knew, never would fail him. The Lord, he says, stood with me. Whatever he might find man to be, however well he might be made to learn how little the flesh could be relied upon, in learning this. And in tasting the bitterness of the sorrow connected with the hard lesson, he learned the faithful heart of the Son of God, and to learn this was worth all the evils that ever befell him, and all the desertion, and all the reproach he ever experienced at the hands of the brethren. But now what does he look forward to as his reward? Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. He claims nothing but what every other saint will receive from the Lord, for I suppose every saint loves his appearing. It might be said that there are a great many saints who know nothing about his appearing. That may be, and it is sad to have to admit it, but every saint loves righteousness. I could not think of a saint not loving righteousness. And the reason he loves righteousness is because he has got the spirit of the righteous one. What was said of Christ was, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Man loves sin. What is sin? Sin is doing one's own will, and every unrenewed man loves to do that. Christ came to do the will of God, he delighted to do it. And if you have the spirit of that man, and, if any man have not the spirit of Christ he is none of his, you will love righteousness. Now there is nothing but sin in the world. The Lord, going away, tells his disciples that when the Spirit would come, he would, reprove the world of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment, of sin, because they believe not on me, of righteousness. Because I go to my Father, and ye see me no more, of judgment, because the Prince of this world is judged. The presence of the Spirit here is the witness that there is nothing but sin in the world. It has rejected the righteous one, the Son of God. If you are to find righteousness, you must find it with the Father. You will not find it in the world. But righteousness will be brought in when the righteous one appears. So, if one loves righteousness, and longs for it to be brought in so that God's will may be done on earth as it is done in heaven, such an one will at that day get righteousness as his crown. He longed for it, and looked for it, and knew that no one but Christ could bring it in for earth. And his crown will be that he will have part with Christ in the introduction of it into the world. Now a word in conclusion.
Paul and Timothy are gone. Both have left the sphere of conflict, and you and I remain, and find ourselves in the midst of that state of things so vividly portrayed so many centuries beforehand. He who knew the end from the beginning used his faithful servant to warn us of the coming ruin, and to place before us where our resources would be found. And what our path was to be through the midst of the confusion. I do not at all believe that what Christ has built, or is building, has in the least suffered. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And it is in this our life and our relationship with God and our blessing lie. The blessed God cannot be defeated. Let us be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In the measure in which we are set for the interests of Christ we may count upon the whole power of God. If we turn to the world, and glide smoothly along in its currents, we can know nothing of his presence and support, but if we are for him and are not ashamed of his testimony, we will find him ever near to deliver us and to preserve us for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory for ever and ever. Amen. End of chapter 4 and the notes of addresses on the second epistle to Timothy by James Boyd.